What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. Matthew 12, 15 through 37. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will he not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do, you, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come up upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sister. Well, good morning to you all. Come on. There we go. Y'all know the routine now. Come on. Hey, I'm going to need y'all help today. Listen. I'm feeling heavy for whatever reason. Maybe it's because we're talking about the chosen servant, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and fruit uh, that is known. I don't know, but uh, whatever it may be, man, God is with us today. I mean, if you're new um, here, you're joining us online, welcome. Uh, My name is Miguel. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, It's not by accident that you're here. And so, man, I encourage us, I encourage you, if you would, pray for us. And I will pray for us as well, and we will go sit before the Father at his feet to hear what he has to say on this passage here today. You know, um, before I start, I think it's important to acknowledge that it's all right to feel heavy. It's all right to, it's okay not to be okay. Um, I say that to say because, man, this morning, for whatever reason, There's this anxiousness that I feel, not really sure where it comes from. And I could only imagine just to think how many people walk through the doors today trying to have it all together, trying to make it look like everything is great. And maybe things are, but here's what I say this. I want this to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. I want us to be a church that whatever you're feeling, Whatever you're carrying, whatever yesterday or this past week or this month has brought you, that you can come and say, this is a place where I can be known, that I don't have to fake it. I don't have to just act like I got it all together. And as much as I say that for you, I say that for myself as well. 
And so um, let's go before the Father and let's hear what he has to say through his word. Because it is a gift. Hear me now. It's a gift to gather with the saints. And even though whatever I was, what I feel, man, my heart gets excited to see you all. There's power when we're together, not because of our power, but because of the Holy Spirit is present. So let's go before the Father and hear what he has to say to us. God, I'm also reminded that an invitation extends and never runs out. That invitation that you say that if those who, all who are weary and heavy burdened, that we can come to you and find rest for our souls. And God, I pray that that is the case today. That whatever we bring through here, whatever we're having right now, that we, in this moment, give them to you. That you would give us a peace like no other. Not as the world gives, no, not as the comfort food that we may want to, to appease us or a certain TV show. No, give us peace, heavenly peace that truly comes from you. Father, help us see that Jesus is the chosen servant that you have placed before us that we need, that you are that Jesus has all authority and power over all that is spiritual and physical. And I pray, Father, that you make it clear that we can examine the type of fruit that we bear for others to see. So speak now, Holy Spirit. Do what I cannot do. Raise life from dead places. Encourage people. Rebuke where rebuking needs. Save where saving needs to be saved. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together said, Amen. 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 Have you ever been in a situation where you have a desire so strong? For whatever reason that desire is, you have, a, you have a desire so strong that when actually God goes before you and presents you with something that you actually need, you miss it. Has there ever been a situation where you wanted something so much, so bad, that you made an other decision and missed what God actually placed before you? Or have you ever had an expectation so high? Spoken, unspoken, where it actually wasn't met in the way that you saw fit. I will submit to you today that many of us can probably relate to one of those two things, if not both of those things, at some point in our lives. Some of us sit in this room today with expectations that we want God to do and because of who he is and what his word says, but yet we miss his presence because it's not quite what we want. Or we have a desire so much so that we want to hold on to power, status, position, you name it. So much so that we actually miss the presence of God right before us. See, that's what we're all prone to, if we're honest, is that we will miss the power. We will miss experiencing the power and the presence of Jesus in our lives because we are so blinded by our desires, and by our own expectations of who Jesus is. And we're going to see here today in the text that really that's what happens with the Pharisees here. So blinded because of their desires to hold the power and the status that they have, but they miss the Messiah right in front of them. The Pharisees are like, uh, and even the Jews miss the Messiah that was before him, before them, because he didn't meet their expectation. So it's very simple here while I preach this passage with you today. It is this. Jesus is the servant king 
that is humble, gentle, and has authority over all that is physical and spiritual. Jesus is the king that is humble. Excuse me. Jesus is the servant king that is humble, gentle, and has authority over all that is physical and spiritual. What we're going to do today is that we're going to really kind of unpack that purpose here through this text here. And we're going to see how God is place Jesus as the servant king and how he has power over the spiritual realm and even physical realm. And we're going to talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and also knowing what a fruit, we're knowing what our fruit is by how we, uh, knowing what kind of tree it is by the fruit that we bear. And so just to set the setting, what's happening now is that if you remember last week, Jesus was having a conversation talking about Sabbath. And at the end of chapter 11, the Pharisees did not like what they heard. And so they, uh, as the text says, when he was reminding them at 29 of chapter 11, he said, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And here it is. And I will give you rest. And then he goes into the Sabbath, giving Uh, The Pharisees are trying to challenge him. And then at the end of that, they didn't like what they said. And it says that they went away so they can kill him or accuse him. And so we look at verse 15. Where it says Jesus is aware of this, right? The Pharisees in verse 14 conspired against him, ready to kill him. Jesus, as it says in 15, aware of this, withdrew. Withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make known. Not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was said about the prophet Isaiah. What we see here in verse 18 through 21 is an Old Testament prophet that Isaiah, a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah. And Matthew here, this actually, this section is the uh, uh, longest quoted Old Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's particularly under the servant songs of Isaiah. The servant songs is Isaiah 42 to 53. And what we have here in 18 through 21 are the first four verses of Isaiah 42. But Jesus was very clear when he says, hey... Don't say anything. It's not time yet for me to go to the cross. It's not time for me to go as public as I need to be. He was already going viral if we could use our common language today. But he said, I I ain't ready to go double viral yet is what he was getting at. So he says, hey, don't make known what he was doing. Now, here's what I want to look at when we look at this Isaiah 42 passage here that's plopped right here in Matthew chapter 12. What we see is that it is language that reminds us of the suffering servant king that we all need. Well, how is that so? Well, when you look at this, in particularly verse 18 and 19... It says, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, whom my soul, uh, uh, my beloved son, with whom my soul, uh, soul is well pleased. Same language there, who my beloved son, who am I well pleased. That was actually in Matthew chapter 3 when he was baptized and the heavens parted and the Holy Spirit descended on him. It says, behold, my servant whom God has chosen, who's chosen to be the servant king that we all need. He says, I'll put my spirit upon him. I have anointed him to do great things. To do what? And to proclaim justice to the Gentiles, to the nations, is what that translates to. So before we want to get on our high horse or when you go back to the marketplace and you got people that sit next to you thinking that God is a God for only a certain type of tribe of people, you can correct them in love and say, that's not the God that I serve. No, we have a God that is a God of the nations 
I have a king, a servant king that proclaims justice to the nations. And hear what he says. He will not crawl or he will not cry out. He will not have his voice heard in the street. What he is saying is that it is not time yet to go as public as I need to go. Hey, it's not time yet for me to come in splendor and, and, and establish this new king, this new regime that I have for play. It's not time yet. That will come. In fact, what he's saying is that my suffering, the cross, must precede the splendor that I owe, that I'm owed. Fascinating here. And here's something that we can learn from that as believers here. Understand that although Jesus is the meekly, humble, gentle king that we're going to see here, that does not mean he is ignoring the events taking place. That doesn't mean that he's not going to handle justice. The scripture already says that he will proclaim justice. And even in verse 20, it says he will bring justice to victory. We know that's coming. He's going to right all wrongs right. But here's what we can learn from that. Just as Jesus is quiet and humbly proclaiming and doing God's work here on earth, he doesn't ignore the important matters. What does that translate to us? Do not allow, do not become so quiet and inactive that it actually hinders you for standing up for what is right, speaking for what is true on behalf of God. Do not, hear me now, we should not sit here and lead such a quiet life so much so that when we see injustices, when we see wrongs, that we say, you know what? No, I'm not going to handle that. I'm going to just mind my own business. Because here's what I submit to you today. If you were in the position that has been done wrong or someone was doing an injustice to you, you would want someone to come on your behalf. So how much so should we do the same thing? Because Jesus does the same thing now. Do not misconstrue that him being quiet on his way to the cross is ignoring what is taking place in the world. No, he knows what's going on. And the same goes for us. We must not ignore that. But here's what's beautiful about this, and I want to point this out to you real quick. He says in verse 20, he says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. Oh man, this is, I don't know, I want to get happy and cry at the same time. Hear me now. Why is this so fascinating when you hear this? He says, a brood reed, a reed here, a bruised reed, a reed really were a stem of various spices of plants. It was a stem from different spices of plants, and they were used to carve out as pins or walking sticks or even fabric to use as parchment to write on. That's what a reed was used for. But get this, if it was damaged, they would do away with it because... They would discard it and say there's no use for it being damaged because there were so many readily available. It was such a common thing in that time, how they wrote with pens, used as sticks, used as parchment. It was their common thing, and they would just crumple it up. Just like when you mess up when you're writing on a sheet of paper, and you get two lines in, and you still got a whole piece of paper, and you just crumple it up, and you throw it in the trash because you want to start from scratch or blank canvas. You're like, man, this piece of paper is damaged. This is what a read was. They had no more use for it when it was broken or bruised. And then when you look at a smoldering wick, what it says, a wick on an oil lamp, it might smolder because it is either low and oiled or it was trimmed improperly, right? And so what happens is that this smoldering wick will be put out because it will be producing like smoke. It will be not producing the amount of light that needs to be here. Oh, but why do you say this is so fascinating? The word bruised here is in the perfect tense. Walk with me. Which means that it is something that occurred in the past, which produces a state of being or result that exists in the present. And the same thing with the smoldering wick. It is a, per, it's a present tense. So it's meaning the current state affair. What are we saying here? That Many people in this world are like bruised reed here. You are bruised because of an action or something that happened in the past, 
and it's with you in the present. And so therefore, you have an asterisk next to your name. No pun intended. (laughs) But you have an asterisk next to your name. Because they're saying there's something wrong with this person here. They're bruised. They're useless. And guess what? In the world, or do away with them. Just like they would do away with the reed. And the world will quench it or actually dim and put out the smoldering wick because they have no use for it here. They says, hey, you know what? There's plenty other people we can choose from. There's, actually, there's plenty other stuff we can use. Let's use this material. And the same be translated to human beings. Many of us have been bruised in life, and we feel that we are useless. We feel that we have no power. We feel that we are pur- like no purpose because when we talk to people, you go, you just don't know what my past was. You don't understand where I came from. No, see, you don't understand what happened at the last church I was at. See, you don't understand how they mistreat me in this certain way. And the list goes on and on. And so what happens is that people, they treat you as expendable. You know, they can be done. But the king, the the servant king is not like that. He will not break. He will not break the bruise reed. He will not quench the smoldering wick. Why? Because what he says, what is invaluable or seem worthless in the eyes of people in the world is valuable for me and my kingdom. Family of God, hear me now. We put too much value and worth in what other people think. And we allow our past to hinder us. But praise God that he does not, that does not hold us. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad he doesn't hold me to my past. Hear me now. I'm so glad that when I mess up, I can go to him in forgiveness. I'm so glad that when he looks at me as mangled and fragile and insecurities that I have, he looks and says, that's fire. I can use that for my kingdom. And the same is true for you, family, especially those who are putting their faith and hope in Jesus. And if you don't put your hope in Jesus, do know. You are valuable and can be used in spite of how bruised you are. Not because I say, but because God's word tells us that. And so what happens? He says in verse 20, he will bring justice to victory. Meaning that he is leading to victory here. That's what he's doing. He's going to set everything in place as it should be. And here's what I love what it says. And in at verse 21... It says that in his name, the Gentiles will have hope, will hope. Gentiles, ethnos, ethni, people, all peoples, all nations will have hope. Not because of our past, not because we're bruised, not because we're a smoldering with, but because he is bringing justice to victory. Because he went and proceeded and did on the cross what you and I would never do. He defeated Satan. He became and is the suffering servant king that we need, and therefore we will hope. Hear me, family. That's why we can praise God and submit to the servant king. Let us not be so blinded by our desires and our expectations that we miss what Jesus is doing right in front of us. We miss his presence. We miss his power because we're so consumed and blinded by the things of this world, and particularly the things of our heart. Because what you got to understand is that this is not the type of Jesus, the kind of Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a military, a political king that's going to overturn these things. But yet he's like, hey, I got to come in a different way because I know what you need. Oh, make no mistake, he's going to judge and flip us on his head at the day of judgment. That day is coming, family. Believe me. Not me, but believe the word. That's what I'm, you know, you get what I'm saying. Believe me because I'm saying what the word says. We're going to see that here. (laughs) But here's what's fascinating here. So then he goes on, and what you're having now, what takes place, really, in, in verses 22 and through 31... What happens is that now Jesus, he's gone away. There was a demon-possessed man, as the scripture tells us in verse 22. He was brought to him. He was blind and mute. Couldn't speak, right? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him. Exorcisms perform. The text is clear. It says, they brought a blind, uh, 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 the then a oppressed, demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. And he healed him. 
so that the man could speak and see. And he saw. But the people were amazed. They go, so amazed. Hey, they got scared. They're like, is this, is this the son of David? And really, it was kind of met in skepticism in the sense of like, all right, we've been seeing him do a lot of things. Could this be the son of David? But notice, word got back to the Pharisees. The Pharisees heard this, and they didn't like it. So much so that they said, hey, you know what? No, that ain't the son of David. (laughs) He doing that by the prince of demons. Nah, he doing that work by, by Satan, by Beelzebub. That's who he's doing that work to. Notice the two different responses. Skepticism in the sense of like, I think this is the son of David. I think so. I'm not sure, maybe. But yet the Pharisees, so high and mighty and pious, because their desires is so strong, their heart is so hardened, they miss the present and power of Jesus and what he's doing. So much so that they accredit and says, that's satanic work that he's doing by Satan himself. Why is that so powerful here? Why does that matter? Let me back up real quick, because I think this is important, because I like to make things real life. Do you find yourself being like a Pharisee at times? And hear what I mean, is that because you want, you, because you want what you want so bad, you want it your way, Baskin and Robbins, 31 flavor, Burger King, you can have it anyway. So much so that you go, you know what? I'm actually, you, you, no, see, God ain't doing that. You discredit everything that's taking place in your life. Don't want to give any acknowledge to the presence that God is there. Maybe you're skeptic and maybe you're like the Pharisee because you know what? I haven't been healed yet. I haven't experienced my family being healed yet. I've been praying. I've been fasting. I've been doing, you know what? No. Hmm. I know what that person just did and that just happened. No, that can't be of the Lord. Come on. Y'all know how we talk. But here's the response that Jesus has. He shows that their logic, he, he actually poses a question. He actually, actually he gives two examples, two analogies that says, <laughs> to show how logic, how their log- logic is really no logic at all. He says in verse 25, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And then he goes so much so and says that, all right, here's the deal. If I'm doing this by Satan's power, then what about your followers, your sons? Who are they casting demons out then? See, what he's trying to present to their logic is that it doesn't make any, lot, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, Satan is running rampant. Yes, there is demonic spiritual forces at play. We see that in, in Jesus' public ministry as he's casting out demons, as he's healing the broken. We see it it's in, not just in this place, but in other places. So yes, Satan is running rampant. That is true. There is no denying that. But Jesus is saying that Satan will not by any means, undermine his own kingdom. And so much shows it says that, look, because what he's, he's pointing them and getting them to another place and saying, look, if I'm doing this, then your sons must be casting them out by, by Satan as well. And then he presses in a little bit further. He presses in a little bit further and says in 27, therefore, they will be your judges. Verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Really, what this can be translated and says in the, in the first class condition, in the original language, what it really translates is that But since I cast out demons, not if, but since I do cast out demons by the Spirit of God, you know, since God's authority is given to me and behind my work, when he says, since I do cast it out by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Understand this, the Messiah servant king was in their presence battling the counterfeit kingdom, which is Satan's kingdom. He was making it clear to say, hey, let me push you a little bit further. Here's the reality. I'm doing this according to the Spirit of God, therefore the kingdom of God is upon you. You're so blinded by what you want, by your piety, by, by your elitism, all that stuff. If that's even a word, my bad. It may not. Maybe it is. Elitism, I think it is. That works. You, get, you catch my drift. He says, hey, I've come upon you. I'm here. All of my power is before you. And what's fascinating is that he goes on to says, or how can a, he goes in and double downs even more and gives this analogy of, of, um, of the strong man and going into the house and being tied up. He says in 29, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless first he binds the strong man, then he may plunder his house. What are we getting at here is this. Jesus is making it very clear that Satan is the strong man. He gives them another short parable. Satan is the strong man who is being bind up and Jesus is going in and plundering his house. What do you mean by here? One of the things that we see in terms of bind is that he's being bind because Jesus lived a sinless life. See, he's being bind, he's binding Satan's kingdom because he resisted temptation in the wilderness. He ultimately is binding Satan and all of his kingdom and authority because he goes to the cross, dies, but rises on the rose on the third day. He sits here, and because he does that, he, he's able to plunder Satan's home, meaning the world. What do I mean by that? That means that Jesus is able to set free the captives that are in Satan's kingdom. So those who do not put their faith and hope in Jesus, here's the reality. There's two kingdoms here. There is Satan's kingdom, and then there is God's kingdom. Because what we see in verse 30, Jesus makes very plain. Hey, either you, if you ain't with me, you against me. If you ain't gathered, you scatter. He leaves no room for neutral. We don't get to hit the maybe button. We in one side of the kingdom or the other. The question is, whose kingdom are you in? Because what he sits here and says, and notice what's fascinating about this, is that he's plundering Satan's kingdom. That means that the souls that want to submit to, uh, to the Satan and the desires of this world, Jesus is powerful enough to overturn a one's heart through the power of the Holy Spirit by one repenting and turning to Jesus, acknowledging that they are broken, acknowledging that they need the Savior, and that Jesus is the servant king. Therefore, Jesus is taking captive those in Satan's house, and he's transferring them to the right house. He's taking them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But here's what's so beautiful about this. When you look at scripture, particularly John chapter 10, it says in there that no one can snatch you out of Jesus' hands. Why is that so powerful? Because get this, Jesus can snatch you out of Satan's hand, but Satan cannot snatch you out of Jesus' hand. That is the authority that our servant king has. Now, that doesn't mean that Satan won't try to mess with you. That don't mean you won't get knocked out. Oh, I'm trying not to get so happy. Listen to the power that our king has. Let me stop. Oh, no, I'm going to keep going. Do you understand the type of king that we have? He's saying, I plunder his house. You may be broken. You may, you may want to love the world, but guess what? He can offer you something better. He says, yeah, don't buy that lie. Don't feed into the lust of what you want. I know it looks good. I know it looks pleasant for a minute, but make no mistake. Satan has no interest in you. And he doesn't care what you do as long as you don't go to the, to the true father. And so what we see here, he says, I plunder his house. He's taking hold captives. He's the one that's overcoming the king. And here's what's beautiful about this. What Jesus is saying is that, look here, make no mistake. Me and Satan in a boxing match. One thing about boxing, here's what's very clear. When you ever know anything about boxing, they do scorecards and you got judges. And after any, each and every round, the judges score the cards and they say who won the round. 
And every time they sit, and if you ever watch a boxing in there, they show who won the round. Sometimes they don't and sometimes they do. But the reality is that they keep score so that they know who won each round so that if no one wins, at the end of the 12 or 10 rounds, they can go to the judge's decision to see who won the most rounds. And who was? Is it a split decision? Is it a draw? Whatever the case may be. So understand this. Why is that so important? See, human beings go and they come out with an outcome that may lead into a draw when we fight folks, in the, if you lose my proverbial language here. But God is in the ring fighting Satan. Make no mistake, there's not a round that, Satan ain't, that God ain't lost. He's in the boxing ring with Satan. And although Satan thought he won because the 10 count started, but we know that Jesus only went to three count and rose three days later. You feel me? See, he went to the cross and Satan thought he had him. Satan said, oh, I got him now. He's good. He's down. And he went back to his corner and started celebrating. If you ever watch boxing, people that think they won, they hop on their corner of the ring and they start chanting because they think the guy's knocked out. That's what Satan did. But Jesus gets up on a three count with all power in his hands on the third day and says, make no mistake, partner, I'm here and I overturn this kingdom because I'm the servant king that you need and that's going to run this ship in this world. Family of God, why would we not want to submit ourselves to a king like that? My question is this, are we so blinded, just like the Pharisees, I got to keep asking this question, you're so blinded by your desires and expectation of who Jesus is, we miss the power and presence of what he has right before us. And what's fascinating about this is that he even goes and talks a little bit further and he foreshadows what is to come. Where it says in Revelation chapter 20, where it talks about how he'll bind up Satan at the second coming of Jesus. So we even got a little foreshadow going on. See, Jesus saying, look here, partner, y'all Pharisees, y'all logic make no sense. Hey, the reality is this. I'm the one that's overturning this. I'm actually doing this in the power and the authority of God. Therefore, the counterfeit Messiah that you're trying to paint me as doesn't even stand. And in fact, so much so that he says that if you not only get this, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it is therefore the unforgivable sin. He goes on and says that, hey, you can blaspheme and you can actually sin against the Son of Man. He actually says that you can sin against the Son of Man, it can be forgiven. Every sin can be forgiven. He says, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. So you sit here and you ask, well, what is that? Have I done that? Have I blasphemed the spirit? We're going to do this. I'll tell you what blasphemy of the spirit is not and what it is. Blasphemy of the spirit, most people think that it's murder or it's, it is um, adultery or even, you know, pre- denying Jesus under, under pressure. And we know that's not the truth because Peter denied Jesus three times under pressure, and yet Jesus comes back to Peter, and Peter does great things, uh, restores him and empowers him to advance his kingdom. So it's not denying Jesus under pressure. It's not adultery because we know that David was a murderer and adulterer, and yet the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. So we know those aren't the unforgivable sins here. Some would even say that suicide may be the unforgivable sin, and Scripture does not even speak to such a thing. It doesn't even say that about that in that sense. The fact that you're worried if you committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit says that you didn't probably commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because you're concerned. You have a conscience. You're feeling convicted. You care about that because that's not what you want to do. It's not unbelief. It's not just unbelief. It's not just sin because it's very clear. He says every sin will be forgiven. It's not just speaking against Jesus, because that will be forgiven. It's not just rejecting Jesus, that will be forgiven. It's not even the denial in that sense of one time. That's no, that's not what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. What is it then? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What the Pharisees were doing, which Jesus calls them out, even in the last half of this section in verse 33 and 37, when he says, you brood of vipers, because he's calling them evil because of their words. What it is, is that it is a willful, wicked, clear skies. I use that language. 
a intentional, perpetual, determined denial of the power of which Jesus is doing God's work. It is a ongoing, not just a one time, it is a constant rejection, intentionally denial of the power that Jesus, which is operating of. So much so that you will not, the Pharisees will not repent and therefore go so far to say that, hey, Jesus is actually his power actually comes for saving. You, he, the Pharisees attribute the power and authority that God has given him actually to Satan. And therefore, their heart is so hardened because they desire to have power over people. They desire their status. They desire to be right and can't just submit. They want to hold to what they have. And therefore, they choose to intentionally perpetually, day in, day out, long-termly not believe and trust and turn to the power and acknowledge that the power that Jesus is operating of comes from God. They don't want to have a repentant heart by any chance because they're so consumed with self-interest. Even though it is very clear that Jesus in this time is the Messiah, and is operating by a different kingdom and power and authority that truly has to come from God. Mind you, they know the scriptures. It's not like they don't know the scriptures. They're experts in it, but what they want, they're religious elites. They desire so much more to have what they want instead of surrendering their authority and saying, this is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. This is the one that we read about. Again, the unforgivable sin is a deliberately knowing, attributing the work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit to Satan. Because here's the thing, it's not like God ran out of grace. It's not like he runs out of mercy. It's not like he, he has a limit to his forgiveness. In fact, it says that when, if you sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins. In fact, it says as far as from the east to the west... So are your transgressions. It's not like he, he runs out and says, therefore, oh, you've already committed sin, so you forget the unforgettable, committed the unforgettable sin, there's no more forgiveness. No, but it's about the heart. The hardness of heart and the spiritual blindness of the work of Jesus, it says Satan empowered Jesus to do it. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because they wanted what they want. So much so that when you look at verse 33 and 30 through 37, what Jesus pretty much, if I can sum it up, <laughs> he pretty much says this, words matter. Words matter and fruit is your words. He says in verse 33, Look what he says, because this is connected to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It ties in together. It feels disjointed. I'm going to just be real. When I was studying for this, I was like, I feel like I got three different like, sermons in one. And in some sense, we could do that. But when you look at it, it's connected. It makes sense here. He says, neither make, it says, neither make the tree good. It's called either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruits. Excuse me, by his fruit. A tree is known by his fruit. He said, you brutal vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? Why are they evil? Because they are so stubborn in their ways. So self-interest, so pious, so much so that they're, they're evil to say, man, your work is empowered by Satan. I ain't going to believe that. I know it's clear as day, but I ain't going to believe that. He says, that's your evil. You try to speak good, but you're evil. And he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what this lets us know is that what's in our hearts and what comes out matters. The, he's like, you speak a good game, you talk a good game, but the truth is what's inside of you is evil. It's actually bad fruit. Because notice he goes on to even says the good person out of his good treasure bring forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure bring forth evil here. It's very clear as day. You're going to produce good fruit, bad fruit. 
and what you're going to produce is coming from the tree that's in your heart. What's on the throne of your heart, what you speak and what comes out matters. That whole saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a lie, is all get out. Because words matter. There's power in life in the tongue. We speak life with our words, and we build up, and we can tear down with our words. I would imagine that many of us in this room got stories of when someone said something so hurtful that it sticks with us to this day, even if it was years ago. Whether it was a pastor, unfortunately, which I even hate to say that that's the case. Whether it was a father figure, a mother, a boss, a friend, you name it. And what Jesus sits over here and even gets as it says, hey, the words you say so much, every careless word will be judged. So your words is either going to acquit you or condemn you at the day of judgment. Let us not be so loosely thinking that we can say things out of our mouth and they don't have consequences. Even though, even though we may think they're careless and don't matter. James chapter 3 is very clear about how powerful the tongue is. I encourage you to go back and read it. It even talks about how something so small can set a blaze of fire. It talks about out of the same mouth comes blessings and curses. My Lord. And what happened was, is that the Pharisees were so evil in heart, so evil that their words were actually deterring and hindering people from believing and repenting and turning to Jesus. Because when they heard this, they're trying to say, oh, actually, no, that's from, that's, that's from the prince of demons. That's from Satan. Because their words have power because they're in a position of authority. And so when the people says, hey, is this the son of David? Actually, they says, actually, no, that's the uh, prince of demons, that he's doing that. And now someone who may be immature in the faith or thinking about putting their hope and trust in Jesus now gets on the fence. And now they go, oh, well, oh, if that's the case, I don't want to be part of that kingdom then. See, Jesus is saying that don't make no mistakes. Your word has implications. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit because you think it's a good thing, but actually it's a horrible thing because you're so blinded by your self-interest. So I encourage us as people to let us be mindful of how we speak. I cannot tell you how many times I've had conversations or heard conversations where people are turned off to the church because of the interactions that the church had and spoke to them. And we think it wasn't a big deal. When you're in your small groups, what you say matters. When you're serving here on Sunday, what you say matters. Do not think that your words can be careless and don't have consequences. And I know it's easy for us to look at Pharisees and be like, yeah, that's right. I bear good fruit. I don't know about them. I ain't blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But the principle can apply is that are we careless with our words so much so that it actually hinders the advancement of the kingdom of God? Because, hear me now, because this is real. We're afraid that we might lose power. We're afraid that we might lose status. We're afraid that we might be ostracized and look different. So therefore, we will say whatever we need to say so we won't lose what we have, meaning self-interest. Not God interest, self-interest. Family of God, may we, be, may we submit ourselves. May we be a church. May we be a church that speaks life to people, that bears good fruit. Because as we sit here on the corner of Broadway and Park Avenue, understand this, people will judge us by the fruit that we bear. We can talk a good game all day, every day, but do know we gonna bear some fruit. And I submit to you, hear me now, this is not a, I believe we can bear good fruit. I believe that God can do something powerful here in us. So that's not to say that we can't. It's more than just gathering in the space. So when you go back to your small groups, when you come here on Sunday, when you're walking the pass around, understand this. When you encounter people and they ask you where you just come from or what church you come from, understand this. They're going to know you by the fruit that you bear. May we be a church that's marked by bearing fruit that brings people to God, that shows glory to God. 
that we talk with people with dignity and power, empowering them because they're image bearers. May we be the people that speak like that, not because we got it all together, but because we're a bruised reed, because we're a smothering wick, and God, the servant king, does not break us and does not quench us. In fact, he looks at us and says, we're valuable, and I can use you. So may we never forget what God has done for us. May we never forget that we are bruised, smothering wick, and he looks at every last one of us, especially those who put their hope and trust in Jesus, and he says... That's useful for my kingdom. So therefore, out of our heart, out the abundance of our heart, let the words come out that's bearing fruit, that speaks life, that advances the kingdom, that brings glory and honor to him, not our own self-interest. That's why it's important for us to submit to his authority. Because he defeated death and has all power in his hands. And we are able to advance the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to every believer that believes in him. All right, I'm done. Let me, let's pray. Let's pray. Sorry, I had to get off my soapbox at the end. Let's pray. Father, there's, there's a lot that wasn't even said in this passage. And the truth is, it's so easy to just look at the Pharisees and and see how we, we don't think that we identify with them. But the truth is, is that we're broken. We, we got some problems. And the hardest thing to do is to look in the mirror to see our brokenness and our insecurities. But I'm so glad, praise God, I'm so glad that although we are bruised, although we are smoldering, wick, that you don't break us, that you, that Jesus doesn't quench us. In fact, he sees good use for it. May we be people. May we be people that are mindful how we speak, that we use our words to edify, to build up, to encourage, to give godly rebuke when godly rebuke is needed now because your score calls for that. But help it be one to advance the kingdom, not hinder it. Help us be a church, a people that is known by good fruit because of the Holy Spirit that is inside of us. May we never miss. Help us, God. Lift the blinders off our eyes. Help us not be so blind by our desires, by our own expectations that we miss the power and the presence of you right now at this very moment. Help us. Thank you for what you've sent in the servant king that we need, which is Jesus. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.